favorite Grasslands PR team. We're back this week with another reason why these overlooked and underappreciated ecosystems are objectively the best biome. I'm Rachel. I'm Nicole. I'm Alan. Uh, and this is my week to tell you about something. Mm-hmm. Um, I This is a topic that I've spent a lot of time with this week, and I'm very excited to share it with you. It I predict that this episode will bring you joy oh. and will warm your heart. Yeah. Those are two really good things. Yeah. (laughs) So for this episode, we are going to take a trip abroad. Oh. We are going to head to northwestern South America. (gasps) That's three directions. Northwestern South America. And then from there, (laughs) we are... (laughs) It just hit me (laughs) when you said it out loud again. And from there, we are going to go up into the Andes. North, northwestern South... Oh. (laughs) Yeah, north. (laughs) Even up is north. Yeah. Okay. So uh, what I'm going to tell you about today is the Potomo. And this is something we mentioned on That's the podcast. not anything we guessed, sorry. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, this is something we talked about on the podcast before. I specifically mentioned it in the soil episode. Um, and we'll be talking about it again for that reason. You're looking at each other like you are confused. Rachel made a weird face. I'm sorry. That's okay. She does that sometimes. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> How familiar are you with this this ecosystem? Nope. Cool. All right. Well, let me tell you about it. Potamos are a tropical alpine grassland. They sit in the Andes above the timberline, okay, but below the snow line, obviously. There's nothing up there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so we're talking typically in the three to 5,000 meters uh, altitude, okay, which is pretty high up there. Um, that would be because I can see you processing that because we're in America. That is 9,800 to 16,000 feet elevation okay so so pretty pretty far up there uh in freedom units um and they span (laughs) across several countries up there uh venezuela colombia ecuador peru um, with a few outliers in panama and costa rica so um that whole northwestern section of south america has all these uh these these high alpine uh grasslands what exactly is, uh, what characterizes a Paramo is, um, uh, that definition varies a little bit because they're, they are such a diverse habitat. Um, but, uh, the, the people who like wrote, and this is my main source for the episode, um, is a checklist of plant diversity, geographical distribution, and botanical literature, uh, where they reviewed like thousands of papers, uh, and put it all together. Uh, this is from 1999. Um, kind of giving a broad overview of everything in the Potomo and what makes it special. Um, they said that it's characterized by tussock grasses, large rosette plants, shrubs, and then some uh, uh, evergreen and uh, 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 other little hard-leaved plants um, and Trishan plants up there. So um, kind of picturing like tussocky, bunchy, you know, nice blankets of grass and these kind of alpine uh, Andean, um, yeah, Aww. areas. I've not, I don't think I've heard people refer to those as hard-leaved grass. The plants up there are uh, interesting, okay, and we're, we're, we'll talk about them a little bit more here, uh, but this is a kind of extreme environment 
you know, there is, uh, first of all, it's very, uh, it's very exposed up there because you're above the timberline. Uh, and so you've got, uh, huge temperature swings. You've got like a daily freeze thaw cycle happening throughout big parts of the year. Um, you've got, uh, lots of sun exposure. You've also got a lot of plants that get stunted. Mm. Okay. Because of some of the other elements happening up there. Um, it's just, it's interesting. There's a lot going on, uh, in this, uh, uh, in this little ecosystem and, uh, we're going to talk about it. Um, in more detail here. Uh, but it's also important to know that even though this is like a high altitude, like kind of, you know, uh, I don't know. When we picture like high altitude environments, they probably seem remote to us. Cause we're thinking like, you know, yeah, they, these are definitely human environments though, in this part of the world. Right. Oh, okay. Um, these are, uh, there's, there's a lot of people who live in these, uh, Potomo areas. Um, they are utilized by people and have been for a very long time. Um, there are people who raise livestock on them, cattle, goats, um, things like that, raising them for milk, meat, and wool. Um, there's also people collecting firewood and, uh, uh, and, and logging and things like that up here, uh, in this, in this area. Um, is this where like guanacos hang out and like, and that's, uh, I'm not sure specifically if guanacos are like. There's a lot. There's so many animals there, that live here. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> but I, I don't, I'm not sure specifically about guanacos, but it is like that kind of area. Okay. You know, like, um, yeah. Yes. Like, if you think, uh, yeah, like, if you think about, like, where where people would, like, raise livestock in, like, South America and, like, you know, like, yeah. I feel like you can picture it in your head because you've seen it before. But, yes, this this is that this is that environment. Um, okay. So, um, all right. Why did we talk about this in the soil episode? Okay, let's touch on that real quick. Okay. Because I don't know, you guys, do you remember at all anything you learned about dirt? <laughs> oh, uh, I remember learning things about dirt. I don't remember this uh, ecosystem coming up at yeah, all. That's okay. Um, I remember that dirt is organic stuff until it's not, and then it's the thing that it used to be on the in the levels when you yeah. like, cross section the earth that's right um and there's a lot of a lot of little tiny guys in there yeah. there's a lot of little tiny guys in there and, and that there's little... hundreds of thousands of millions of types of dirt on yes. the planet so many types of dirt <laughs> yes some of them very unique mm-hmm. okay very unusual um that is part of what's going on in the potomo because you're right. There of those many types of dirt, we split them into twelve different orders. One of them was called andosols. Oh, ando coming from the Japanese word for black. These are soils that are high in volcanic, uh, like ejecta, volcanic ash. So, like these are shaped by the processes of active volcanoes, of which there are many mm-hmm. in the Andes. Okay, mm-hmm. um, so that uh, uh, these uh, these soils, um, you get a lot of things like volcanic glass in them that weather really quickly, and they end up creating all these really unusual minerals that are have a um, a, a higher than average capacity, much higher than average capacity for retaining water, retaining nutrients, etc., and it makes for a really rich, dark soil, really robust um, soil for this for this environment. Um, so it's kind of unique that uh, you've got such a volcanically active region, um, like 
contributing like recently lots of volcanic ash mm-hmm. for these these this this ecosystem to thrive. That's what makes it neat. Cool. Okay. That's the only thing. No, Nicole. <laughs> Jeez. Got him fired up instantly. <laughs> like a volcano. Oh, man. When I tell you, like, I was like, this, <laughs> like, this, this whole ecosystem, I, it, it just, mm, mm, it will please you. Just, just, just give it time. Okay. All right. Um, oh, I can't wait. The end result of this, uh, is a huge biodiversity hotspot. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, you mix in, um, all these, interesting you know climate factors this really interesting unusual soil um all this geology going on you get a really uh really interesting active environment for uh for a lot of evolution to happen um and a lot of like really unique stuff because the environment is just so unique is that what we're yeah yeah okay yeah and it's also it's also um you know it's important to remember that this is like as with like many places that are kind of evolutionarily very active, kind of mm-hmm. like the evolutionary cauldrons, right? You've got a, uh, like a mosaic of habitats, right? We've, which was right. another thing we've talked about a lot. Um, and on like, um, on a mountain in the Northern Andes, you have a wide range of environments going on too, which is a good point. Maybe we should talk about like, okay, what is all going on on these mountains, right? Yeah. Okay. Also, evolutionary cauldron, such a good uh-huh. <laughs> mental image. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What is brewing up in the Andes? I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah. Something's, something's cooking up there. <laughs> so let's look at the kind of let's 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 just do like an anatomy of these northern Andean mountains by just sort of like starting at the bottom and then whoop, going up, right? Okay. Rocks. Rocks. They what? <laughs> the bottom at the bottom of the mountains. Oh yeah, huh? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. At the lower altitudes in these environments, um, in that two thousand to twenty four hundred meter range, you have uh, the cloud forests. Oh. Okay. Which that which is which is very fun. Um, the the very humid uh, montane forests. Um, you know, literal clouds passing through them. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence the name. Um. You go up a little bit from that, you have what are called elfin forests, which apparently there are dwarf forests and elfin forests, hmm. both very magical sounding. Yeah. Um, these... Wait, why is it called an elfin? You're probably going to say that. Never mind. No, I'm I, sorry. <laughs> I'm actually not 100% sure what the difference is between a dwarf forest and an elfin forest. Hmm. Okay. Uh, what's the origin of that word here in this context? Elfin? Yeah. I mean... Great question. I am assuming it has to do with elves. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. because well, like, like dwarf doesn't mean you know, like no, I know, I know. That's where my brain goes. <laughs> I, well, yeah. No, um, is that like? I think it's because there is like and and uh, like yeah. I generally like don't know like the actual etymology of what the word is here, but it like I think you know we're talking like the like you know the like the fact that it's like everything is stunted and tiny and short mm-hmm. oh. like because yeah like i think that's where it's that's where they come in with like this like you know that's what i think like the, al- the elves yeah, yeah. right yeah. yes hidden people like little, yeah because in other parts guys. of like we're not talking about like you know like lord of the rings elves here mm-hmm. I, you know like i think we're talking about like what a lot of the world you know uh, considers an elf in like yeah. it's like a little mythology, but right? it's still a mythology. 
And that's really cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you guys remember like when the wasn't it recently like the you know never mind okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't remember that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure didn't the uh, like uh, President Obrador in Mexico recently like claim he saw an elf? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that happened, right? Um, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure it did. It okay. was a really big deal in, in social media because the government <laughs> usually doesn't acknowledge the existence of elves. The existence mm-hmm. of elves. Yeah. Guys, what a wild time to be alive. Okay. Oh, it truly is. Um, moving on. <laughs> the elfin forests. Elfin forests have trees that are uh, stunted in their growth by a number of things. Either the poorer soils. Um, wind, obviously, very intense, a big factor. You know, these trees aren't getting super, super tall. They're, in fact, they're, they're typically getting stronger okay and like more squat because the wind is intense this you know uh, on these these mountainsides um and also the fog ends up stunting them really? what How? why because there's such like a consistent blockage of sunlight oh. from the amount of fog and wow. clouds that yeah it actually ends up stunting these these trees fascinating yeah it's it's interesting um both of these forests, though, the cloud forests and these elfin forests have uh, this, um, they've also got these like really nice understories to them. Okay, so really scrubby, robust little understories. Okay. Cute. We go up from there. Uh, there's like three, like in this layer cake that is the Andean <laughs> Mountain, there's like the next three layers are Potomo. And they go from uh, starting with the sub Potomo. Uh, that is at like the 2,800 to 3,500 al- uh, altitude. Um, this is kind of a transition zone, right? From all these forest environments low to the grassier environments up top. So you get okay. this uh, kind of a neat um, ecotone, right? Um, this part is also called like the Potomo Forest, the Potomo Thicket, uh, the Bosque Achaparado, um, or a sub Potomo Chaparral, um, because there's like lots of it's very shrubby there's lots of lots of shrubs you actually um there's a lot of uh like there's a a huge diversity of tropical plants here that are actually um that end up uh as house plants here Uh, (laughs) things like um things like shuffalera um and oreo panax uh things like that um my mother-in-law has a one I don't know those oh. plants. Oh, <laughs> my mother-in-law has a shuffleria plant that she's kept alive that's, for like forty years. That sounds Dang. familiar. Yeah, they're yeah. they're yeah they're they're just like you know they're, they're like just imagine like you're like a classic tropical house plant like uh-huh. that's the kind of thing that's that's growing here. Um, yes, uh, and this is actually one of the more diverse layers too, um, just because you know you've got that transition zone right, yeah. so you get a lot of you get a lot of factors going on there. We go up from there, and the middle layer of that layer cake is called just, or is, is just called the grass potomo. Okay, so okay. this is this is where the grasses dominate in this environment. Um, they are typically tussock and bunch grasses, so very thick, very blankety. Very good grasses. <laughs> very good grasses, um, and there's a good mix of short and tall grass species here, and also um, a really high proportion of dead and living grasses together. Um, it gives it this particular color uh, of like this like olivey 
brown <laughs> that's like distinct that's like distinctive of this like this area interesting why um, would there be so much dead grass are there no fires that's the first thing i'm thinking of but like oh we'll talk about that in a little bit Ooh, okay. okay okay prediction um, there are no fires in the <laughs> well i mean yeah so like i mean well think about like <gasps> too many clouds this is this is a very wet a very humid environment yeah yeah okay so the natural fire regime of it is pretty you know like pretty spaced out okay um you know you'd have to have either uh volcanic eruptions starting in those fires or lightning strikes which happen to be in the dry season and are enough to create because there's so much water being retained and everything in this environment, so much Mm -hmm. moisture. Um, You'd have to really have the right conditions for natural fires to start, but there have been anthropogenic fires in this area for a very long time. Okay. 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 But so we'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about how that is affecting things a little later. (laughs) (laughs) Um, <laughs> You've also got uh, shrubs and rosette plants here, uh, which can be giant. Um, and you've also got just like a whole nice uh, little rainbow of wildflowers in this area, too. It's, a, it's just a really pretty little, um, yeah, grassland up there, uh, high altitude grassland. Um, How giant is giant when you say the rosettes can be giant? Dude, I'm going to tell you in a minute. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. Just wait. Okay. Every, just wait. I know. Hey, we're unfolding this like a rosette plant with its layers. We should trust the process and just go with you on this journey. I'm sorry. Yes. Although, feel free to yell questions at me. Oh, yeah. Don't worry. We will. So, how long? No, I'm going to just keep keep going. (laughs) Lastly, you've got the super potomo. (laughs) Super just being above in this, like. I know, not like fun. Like it's not like that's super powerful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but this is actually like a really narrow zone, really high up, um, and this is actually sort of the uh, the transitional zone between the grass potamo and the like what's above like uh, the like the snow zone, right? Mm-hmm. Where there's just like nothing, like where vegetation stops, right? <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, and so this is um, this is tends to be like really sparse. This is a, like more of a like a really sparse tundra kind of environment. Um, you've got ball forming mosses, you've got lichens, you've got clumped and scattered plants uh, in this region. Um, and you've got poorer, sandier soils too, because you're up at the top of a mountain. And you why, got this. Oh, sorry. Oh. I was just trying. Like my brain was like, "Why is there sand on top of the mountain?" But that's stupid. It's like erosion or something. Okay, cool. it is. Anyway. No, that's not stupid. That's exactly. Yeah, it's weathering. Yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's yeah. Mountains okay. become sand. Oh my god. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and it's like exposed. Like there's no plants to protect the mountain from becoming sand yeah. up there. Okay, interesting. Exactly. Yep. 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 Wow. Yep. Yep. Geology. Yep. And then you've got the uh, the snow zone. Um, the by the way, that's okay. There's a term for this: the Nivel Belt. Nivel. Nivel, like snow, like uh, Nevada or like Nieva, right? Interesting. The Nivel huh. Belt. That's what they call the snow line. I don't like the word Nivel. <laughs> Sounds like navel. <laughs> it does. It's only navel one letter different. Nibble. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it more of a hat if it's on the top of the mountain? Instead of, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of problems with this nomenclature. That's a good point. Uh, yeah, the snow hat of the mountain is, mm-hmm. would be yeah. That's what we'll call it for the our nibble purposes. The nivel hat. The nivel hat. They called some like 
<laughs> That's the proper term, Nicole. I mean, technically, it's not. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> <laughs> this is good. Mm. This is good. This is what happens when we stay up till three in the morning. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Um, Only two of us did that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's true. The two of us. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole's, Nicole's clear. Nicole's in the clear. Um, okay. And then also, obviously, in, you know, amidst all that, that sort of like layer cake, you've got other things. You've got these. Mm, large rocky outcroppings you've got montane lakes and streams and you've got alpine bogs uh so you have a complex mosaic of things happening right okay yes so let's talk about the just by the numbers in terms of like okay yes it's a like a diversity hotspot. it's a very diverse environment how diverse is it <laughs> um there are this this so my source uh for this episode i that checklist uh, identifies 130 families and 1,298 species of non-vascular plant. Oh. Oh. 465 species of lichens, 544 species of mosses, and 3,399 species of vascular plant. Jeez. There's over 4,000 species of plants in the Potomo. And a very high rate of endemism. 60% of those plants are not found anywhere else. God, that's cool. It's yeah. cool, right? It's really neat. Uh, so this, this, like, this is a very special place, right? <laughs> animals. Let's talk about the animals um, because this is, and this is going to be getting into like the thing that I was like, the thing that I really uh-huh. I'm excited to talk Are about. Are there elves in the elfin forest? Yes. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe the president is hiding information from us. Oh, man. They probably are. I mean, yeah. If elves were real, they wouldn't tell us. No. In Iceland, they build roads around where the elves live. Like That's really, The yeah. roads meander a lot because you have to avoid, you can't disrespect there where they are known, yeah. known to exist yeah yeah because they're probably like they will like steal your like teeth or something yeah they're probably like that kind of elf yeah for sure oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> more like like your children but yeah, 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 right, right. yeah your children's yeah. teeth yeah mm. <laughs> not just the whole child <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole child um oof all right animals Animals, <laughs> non-mythic animals. Um, you get a lot of stuff in here. You get uh, um, there's a, a a species called the Potomo wolf, um, which is uh, um, it's it looks like a fox, but it's not a fox. It's actually more closely related to wolves and jackals, but it's little. Um, you, it's also called the Colpeo, I think. Oh, okay, um, I've heard of Colpeos. Yeah. Okay, yes. Um, you get uh, spectacled bears. Um, you get uh, Andean condors. Okay, are, 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 this is a big region for them. Um, but I think in true grassland groupie fashion, what I'm going to talk about is pollinators. Yeah. Okay. okay. Uh, and there are there's a like there's a lot of bug activity that goes on up here. Um, bumblebees are a very very important pollinator for for these ecosystems, um, but that's not the pollinator I want to talk about. Okay. Okay. Because there are many, many plants of the Potomo that are pollinated instead by hummingbirds. 
Oh, that is under 200 grams. That's yeah, the perfect animal. It's way under 200 yeah. grams. It's like two paper clips worth of grams. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and the, like the hummingbirds we're going to talk about today. Uh-huh. Like, they're like, like, we're not talking like the, you know, like the giant, like the Patagonian hummingbird, uh-huh. which is huge. It's like 24 grams. We're talking about the ones that are like four to eight grams. Oh. Little babies. Oh, my gosh. Oh my god! Okay, this is great. I'm yes. so on board for this. Yes, hummingbirds, uh, which you asked me for a hint, and I told you it was the most powerful creature on earth. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. did say that. Yes, and I. Did. That is that is how I feel. I love hummingbirds. Uh, incomparable metabolism. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. Uh, bravery. Solo migrants. Fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Oh my god. Over um, like what? You're too small. <laughs> yeah. Right. Isn't that absurd? Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, very powerful hearts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. 1,200 beats a minute. Cannot beat it. Yeah. Oh, Whew. my God. Very good animals. <sighs> so we're going to talk about the hummingbirds of the Andes. Um, and uh, and because they are, they're, they're, man, okay. We're, we're going to get into it. We're going to get into it. Uh, this is great. Okay, okay. Before we get into it, though, let's do a quick quiz. Oh, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. Yes, let's go. Uh, I'm going to ask my co-hosts here. If you guys get this right, I will buy you a hot chocolate or a boba tea or whatever. Okay. According to the Kansas Ornithological Society's checklist of Kansas birds, mm-hmm. how many species of hummingbird have been sighted in our home state of Kansas? Oh, my God. Um, what do you think? <laughs> uh, Rachel is listing them off in her head because she is... A very capable bird. <laughs> very... I know like two <laughs> humming, well, like three hummingbirds total in the entire world. So. Perfect. Oh, we're going to win some things. Um, I'm going to call first. What? No, I want to cheat <laughs> off you. No, I'm not going to let you do that. That's why I'm making you go first. <laughs> I forgot to hide my hand that I was counting with while I was counting. So, oops. Let's go with eight. Oh my God. Okay. What do you got? I had fewer than that. Um, Six. Hey, these are good guesses. These are good guesses. Oh my God, oh my God. Um, it's awesome. actually a little higher than that. Okay. And, okay, these are and again, this is this is from the KOS list. So these mm-hmm. are um, like confirmed to ha- have been cited in Kansas. Yes. Okay. Um, obviously, some of those could just be extremely incidental. Like we oh, have, my God, like yeah. the yeah. KOS list has flamingo on it. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. If it so, just got blown into Kansas once in its entire existence, <laughs> yes, it's exactly. on the list. What was the one they, they added, what, like brown booby recently, which is like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's never going to happen again. Yeah, that's never going to happen again. Okay. Uh, um, there are 11. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, now, Nicole. of those... 11, how many do you think have 10 or more confirmed sightings in the state of Kansas? Four. Uh, five. Yeah, it's it's six. Uh, so very <laughs> close. That's the number very close. <laughs> that I originally guessed. Now, okay, uh, the six that we do get are uh, the ruby-throated hummingbird, the black-chinned hummingbird, Anna's, mm-hmm. uh, the rufous hummingbird, uh, which I also love. I've held a mummified one in my hand. I've held a live one in my hand. What? I felt a live one in my pocket. What? <laughs> oh my god! I put a band on one. Oh, it's how? Very they have difficult. no legs. You have to get them to grab a toothpick. Oh 
you gently pull their leg away from their body you also need to wear like magnifiers because the band is so small and it's very difficult to read the number on it oh my gosh yeah and they're very good and you have to have a little a little cup of nectar for them to like sippy sip while you're banding them because it if it takes like more than a few minutes you know they're mm-hmm. gonna get like worn out <sighs> it's yeah beautiful birds okay uh and then uh the broad-tailed hummingbird so those would be the okay. six that we have black chinned was the one i didn't consider mm. 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 in my five estimate so close yeah. of those how many of those six would be considered a regular sighting in kansas would be considered uh like common uncommon yes so instead of like as in like not accidental which which uh how how which of these six would be considered regularly occurring in kansas i'm gonna go with three I mean, I'm. It kind of depends on like your definition of like how common. It's true. I'm, I want to say one. <laughs> one is correct. Aww. Yes, and it, 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 it would be the ruby-throated yeah. hummingbird, right? Okay. Uh, the ruby-throated hummingbird being the only uh, hummingbird that actually breeds in the eastern United States. Okay, so one hummingbird is what we regularly get. Mm-hmm. So, to contrast. <laughs> <laughs> How many species of hummingbirds do you think there are in Peru alone? Oh my god. Um, 30. 100. 190. Oh my gosh. 190 species of hummingbirds. What? Wow. Good what? lord. Okay. <laughs> that is like such a tragedy for us. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's, uh, yeah, 190 species in Peru, 132 in Ecuador, 160 in Colombia. Um, just which is like yeah uh insane um God, being a birder in peru is such a feat <laughs> oh my gosh i can't even imagine like yeah like you know we have like we measure the like number of birds in our states in like hundreds yeah not like oh we have you know five thousand species of birds here in peru right, right? you know like bleh, i can't imagine okay <laughs> so it's an extremely diverse group more diverse than um you know Perhaps some of us in the United States can really appreciate. Um, and uh, yes, uh, we're, so, and a lot of them are like Potomo specialists. Okay. Um, all the hummingbirds that I want to talk to you today are from a specific uh, little subfamily um, called Lesbianae. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, nice. yeah, nice. it's <laughs> yeah, happy pride, everybody. Um, and uh, this. <laughs> something that i need to talk about before we get into this is what on earth is going on with hummingbird names oh yeah um, please because i and i don't know i think what i've arrived at is that hummingbirds just have some strange effect on the human heart to where mm-hmm. we give them really absurd <laughs> names um they don't sound like bird names a lot don't. of them you they know don't. like our hummingbirds are all like blah 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 hummingbird yeah and- yeah, you can hear some random name and you're like, is that a spell or? Yeah, like, exactly. What? Oh, no, 100%. Um, to, just to give you, so uh, the first of all, the subfamilies, uh, um, hummingbirds being in uh, Truculidae, mm-hmm. okay, the subfamilies, there are many. They have a Latin name and then they have like a common name. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you the, what are the subfamilies of hummingbirds? Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> okay. You've got your topazes, your hermits, your mangoes. <laughs> Your emeralds, your mountain gems, yeah. your bees, and then the two subfamilies and lesbian A, 
the brilliance and the coquettes. Oh, it's good so stuff. Good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, it's and, like a lineup of acts. <laughs> yes. Outstanding stuff. And some of these names are insane. Um, Give us your just, favorites. I don't think I won't. Okay. Here's <laughs> here's here's a, here's a, some honorable mentions of my favorites. The Gorgeted Sun Angel. Ooh. Ooh, that's good. Beautiful bird. <laughs> <laughs> the Tolima Blossom Crown. Ooh. Oh. 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 It's painting a picture. Yeah, right? Uh, of like, like an ethereal magical creature just yes. flitting about. Yeah, yeah. These are fae creatures. They are, 100%. The glittering star frontlet. Good Ooh. God. So that is good. a star frontlet? Star frontlet, yeah. Oh, my God. And the Viridian metal tail. Ooh, okay. So good. Okay. Um, compare like the names that we give these birds that I feel like does them justice compared with like brown headed cowbird. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. fish crow. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think when we all call for bird names for birds, that this is what we have in mind, <laughs> yes. you know, like get rid of Swainson's thrush, oh, call it yeah. what it is. Give it something way better. A yeah. verdant glimmer beak. Mm. That's <laughs> not it. even that good. <laughs> That's still way better. It's way better. <laughs> All right. Um, so let let me let's 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 talk about some of the specific ones that uh, oh you would would be Potomo specialists here. Um, I've got uh, th- I'm going to talk about uh, uh, two hummingbirds and then like an entire genus of them, which are <laughs> so good. Okay. This is the best. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> let me tell you, like, if you need a mood booster, uh-huh. like if you just need some serotonin. Just spending, uh, like, just look at a bunch of pictures of hummingbirds. They are, <laughs> they're simultaneously so beautiful and so dumb. Like, just what they're like, you know, they like, they're just so squat and like their proportions are weird. And oh man, okay. Just <laughs> I, I recommend. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, the first hummingbird that I want to talk about is called the blue throated hill star. Oh. And this is actually a pretty new bird. What does that mean? It was recently described. I hate the I hate it when like I hate it when yeah. articles talk about like recently discovered hummingbird like it just materialized. Mm-hmm. Uh, recently described is what they mean. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was recently described in 2018. Oh my god! Yeah, it's a pretty new bird, right? Um, they have about 500 to 750 in their population, so <gasps> isolated. Um, they. Uh, they are uh are they and oh, let me show you a picture of them first because good gosh this is a good bird okay look at that look at that look at that little guy oh my god wake up new bird dropped. look at that look at it look at that so gorgeous pretty. look at that beautiful like clean line across the mm-hmm. throat oh it's so Just good like, i love the bright white belly yeah, yeah. with yeah. the black streak down the middle or is that yeah. a foot uh no that is a streak yeah. yeah oh my god yeah that's like yeah really really good contrast yeah yeah, yeah. really Ooh. nice mm-hmm mm-hmm Fantastic. Um, I'm inspired. That leg is is a nice, good long leg. It, I, I feel like uh, that's a leg I could, you could band. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, and okay. So something that no, that, that's an interesting point because okay, a lot of these, a lot of these Potomo, um, hummingbirds, they don't behave quite in the way that we 
would expect a hummingbird. Like, you know, when we see hummingbirds, we typically see them almost constantly on the wing, yeah. visiting feeders, um, even while feeding, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, just, just always a buzz. Um, it's more common for to see a lot of these Potomo species of hummingbird perching and like hanging out and clinging to things. Um, Partially because they live in a high altitude, wind whipped environment. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And they weigh four grams. So so yeah. Um, You know, so yeah, they probably do have like a little bit, you know. They're more leggy. They're more leggy. Because they have to be. Yeah. Oh my God, that's really cute. Um, The, uh, the blue throated hill star, um, this this well, the reason I wanted to talk about it also is because it um it ties into the fire regime issue. Oh, okay, oh, because no. well, because <laughs> <laughs> because there have been okay, um, there have been anthropogenic fires in the Potomo for a very long time. Okay, like the charcoal records and everything indicate that, like mm-hmm. tens of thousands of years, right? Um, but because it is a great place to raise livestock. Um, those kinds of fires are happening more frequently. Burning yeah. is happening more regularly. Um, and I feel like this isn't, this is not always the case or we tend to see the opposite trend, I think with a lot of grasslands to where they've suppressed the fire regime mm-hmm. to a point, um, that, you know, encroachment has happened, succession is happening and the grasslands going away. Yeah. This is the opposite where they are if anything, overburning it. Mm. Okay. Cause they try to, they try to clear out, um, these, uh, clear out some of those old dead grasses mm-hmm. or new growth for the livestock. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of those plants up there, uh, they really don't recover as quickly. So you end up losing some of that diversity over time. Um, you know, it ends up getting dominated by a, a few grasses as opposed to like, you know, all these other, thousands of plants right mm-hmm. um but it's okay okay uh you know they're that that is this is something like that's obviously they're aware of and like you know working yeah. to solve as a conservation issue um but yeah so the 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 current like uh, in a lot of these places like the current level of burning is is probably uh, a bit too high um not everywhere necessarily but um yeah, so that is a potential issue for the blue-throated hill star because a lot of these, um, a lot of these hummingbirds tend to be pretty specific in terms of their, um, like their plant relationships. Mm. Okay, and also like with uh, their habitat, they can be really, really specific with their habitat. Oh, um, the, uh, the another one I want to talk about that is a good example of this in terms of being specific is also one that is critically endangered. Mm great bird the black-breasted puff leg <laughs> what a, show you, us the leg yes i need to describe <laughs> to you what this bird looks like before i show it to you i want okay. you to imagine all right, i want you to imagine like like a suit like where okay imagine somebody wearing a suit of like just like beautiful like black green emerald like just gorgeous elegant and then imagine that they've put on the largest fuzziest white boots to, to pair with that. Okay. <laughs> and then you okay. get this guy. Oh, isn't he handsome? Very good. He's so handsome. Kids. Yeah. Good, good puff leg. Oh the black breasted puff leg is um, a critically endangered hummingbird, and they are currently um, found um, largely within one active volcano called Pichincha, oh. which is in a. An active- 
<laughs> which is a conservation problem. Right? <laughs> if you have the but entire, but they made that choice. <laughs> they did, but you know, well, also, I mean, they, oh. the reason that they're there is because they've lost like ninety-seven percent of their other habitat. Shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, uh, yeah, and this is a volcano that has been active as recently as nineteen ninety-eight. Um, so you know, um, it is like yeah. Um, they're really on the precipice there because when you're that close to an active volcano, uh, like one one bad thing could could result in the catastrophic and immediate end of that species. But uh, there are species that uh, utilizes a lot of these different environments. Okay, um, they don't really actually thrive in the open grass potamo. They tend to uh, they they cross over between all these different environments between the edges of these montane forests um, in this that kind of sub potamo ecotone. Um, they like these like little border areas, right, um, where they're not too exposed but not too like you know caught up in the uh, caught up in the woods, um, like bluebirds. Yeah, yeah, they they like rely on that like marginal habitat, right? Oh. Um, I really like this bird. <laughs> yeah, they're really good. They're really good. Um, they are uh, also kind of competing with another bird uh, oh. as a possible reason, another possible source of pressure on them, the gorgeous sun angel that we mentioned earlier, oh. which is larger and prefers the same kinds of plants. Oh. Uh, they kind of butt heads a little bit, oh. um, and. Um, Hummingbirds can be so cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> they can, and uh, and even though these these birds are like generalists in terms of what they feed on, um, they do have like their preferences. So there was one study that looked at this, um, looked at habitat use by these black-breasted pufflegs, and saw that even though that they were visiting twenty-one ver- different species, okay, eighty-nine percent of the time they were only visiting two. So. Wow. So they they're really really attached to certain kinds of plants. Um, doesn't even seem like that many plants to begin with either. Like considering how diverse some of these areas are. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Considering there are thousands of potential options. Yeah. yeah. Twenty one food plants and then two specifically. Um. The and the paper also mentions that they are like only observed in the most pristine habitats. Mm-hmm. Like so, this is a very like. You know, this is like a a, a very uh, uh like a fickle bird. She okay. has standards, and that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Yeah, with pants like that, she can have anything she wants. Okay. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, uh, yes. Yeah, so that that is a uh, um, estimated to be two hundred fifty of them, all oh. mostly living on a, a single volcano, oh. uh, one <laughs> Earth fire away <laughs> from disaster, uh, but they persist nonetheless. Um, a Another, uh, um, this, this kind of, what's that? That's all we're done with them. We're moving on. What else did you want to say? I'm sorry. (laughs) I wanted wanted to know more. (laughs) What do you want to know? (laughs) I know you're attached to this bird now. I feel bad. What do you want to know? (laughs) What? Mm-hmm. what's their favorite plant <laughs> oh uh their favorite plant okay good it's a uh uh maclenia rupestris um which is like a little shrubby thing uh so this is <laughs> this is a lot of these plants they're little shrubby things um uh yeah oh, so wish. this this is uh again um you know they kind of dart out um into uh between you know in, on these forest borders for those those plants that largely grow in the more open spaces um that will uh, bring me, though, to a point about 
a lot of these hummingbirds, okay, uh-huh. which is their, the way they move. Okay, that's a good point. We should touch on that. Because um, these are not long-distance migrants, right? These are not like rufous hummingbirds that are going from Alaska to Mexico, okay? Like, they're not, they're not long-distance migrants. Oh, okay. They are uh, – these hummingbirds are typically found in the Potomo year-round. Oh, Okay. Um, Do they migrate like elevations or no? Yes. But they're really specific habitats, though. True. Yes, but no, you are right. They do. They are altitudinal migrants. Okay. Okay. So we we see uh, they see, you can observe these um, these birds moving up and down uh, as uh, the sh- with the shift from uh, uh, wet to dry season. Okay. okay. Um, so like uh, they they would prefer um, the lower elevations, um, woodlands, uh, and more bushy Potomo during dry seasons, and then moving up in the wet seasons. Okay. So um, yeah, they, they they kind of bounce around, um, which which is also fascinating to me, just because moving in altitude is can be almost as intense as like shifting in latitude, right? Yeah. And it's much faster. You're like you right. can, the climate at the top of a mountain is very different than the climate at the bottom of a mountain. Especially um, when you have wings. Especially when you have wings, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, when you can, you know, just like fly and stuff, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I think that's interesting. Um, how quickly they they can they they have to end up shifting between these these environments, which we said can can be very harsh and very exposed. Um, that's a good point. Oh, I did also write down a fact here um, about volcanologists uh, oh. because when I talk about the last time Pachincha erupted, actually two volcanologists were killed. Oh. Uh, may they rest in peace. Um, volcanologists are per capita the it is the most dangerous discipline of science yeah. in terms of like how many volcanologists end up losing their lives in the course of their study that it's makes sense yeah, yeah. it's a real dangerous thing to study yeah, yeah especially since like what you gotta like get up in there while things are popping off for a lot yeah. of that so um yes very very um yeah Whew. all right i want to move on now <laughs> Rachel, there's 190 hummingbirds. Okay, okay, we can't. Okay. We, I would, I would love to talk about all of them. Yeah, but we can't. Uh, um, okay. so I'm just picking like some some of the real good ones, right. like some, the fine. ones that personally like just stirred my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, guess, and yeah. this is this the one the genus that we're going to talk about. Okay, <laughs> these are like these are true grass potamo specialists. These are open area grassland hummingbirds they are the helmet crests genus oxypogon um there are four species okay um two of them are least concerned so that's good we don't have to be sad uh one of them is vulnerable one of them is critically endangered Uh, but helmet crests Um, these uh, these are also um, bearded hummingbirds okay (laughs) they look really cool Um, so uh, they have a um, they they do have a long beard they have a long crest as well uh, hence the name helmet crest Um, they have this uh, very interesting um, like the, tend to have like a mask and then also a border around their beard and their beard is like the gorget, right? So like the iridescent, the really bright feathers that we mm-hmm. see on hummingbird throats for them, that's their beard. 
Okay, they look really cool. Oh um, my god, that's. So cool. I uh, let me let me show you. Uh, all right, so here's some pictures. This is the. Um, this isn't the best picture, but I just like this one because he looks so proud of himself. Um, this is the blue, oh! the blue bearded uh, helmet trust. Look at him! I know he's so good. And then let me. Uh, this here's uh, some sketches of what that <gasps> looks like as well for a little bit more regular kind of you know. The markings um, are so fun. It's so different from a lot of birds. Yeah, for sure, they really are. Um, that's the white bearded. <laughs> it's so good, um, and I do like that. You know. All of these are like, yeah, they're drawn perching because that's, again, that's how you would normally see them in this environment, in this Pottermo environment. So, um, so good. Um, so let's let's talk about which uh, species there are. There is the, the two that are least concerned are the green bearded helmet crest and the white bearded helmet crest. Um, again, preferring those nice open Pottermos. Um, and, uh, uh, and being, and they are altitudinal migrants also, um, you've got the white bearded in Venezuela, you've got the green bearded, uh, in Colombia. Um, the range of these things is very small, but they are still considered least concerned, right? Um, you've got the ones that are, uh, the one that is threatened is the blue bearded or no, that's sorry. That's the one that's critically endangered. They like, um, <laughs> like, our our friend uh the the black uh rested puff leg um they are confined largely to like specific mountains okay which is strange to think and also the same with the buffy helmet crest absolutely gorgeous bird looks a lot different than the rest in the genus because it has a black face a white collar and a purple beard Ooh, so good um and just just like you know, buffy plumage also. Uh-huh. So there's there's a very different color. But they are the, that that particular species is found on Nevado del Ruiz, uh, which is an active volcano in Colombia. Okay, so again, active volcanoes, potential conservation issue for these very rare birds. <laughs> is this a? I wonder if this trend is related. Like if being living on a volcano is a part or but it, or is it just because like their range got so restricted that the volcano is the only thing left people couldn't touch um i th- it's it's more the latter yeah because yeah. uh it's the reason that they're in their current conservation status is not because volcanoes keep blowing them up it's right because, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's because of habitat loss it's because of over exploitation of, of the bottom of grasslands yeah, when you put um, it like that yeah uh, that, 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 yeah okay. but when you get when you get to such a small number around a certain mountain then volcanoes i imagine do become an issue for yeah, conservation so. um this uh nevado del ruiz erupted as recently as 1985 and it was uh, it erupted with some deadly consequence uh, there was 23,000 people killed the last wow. time it, it erupted so these these are like these are not like uh hawaiian volcanoes where you get like the you know the nice um pahoho flow yeah okay um these are like explosive very dangerous, potentially catastrophic, cataclysmic yeah. volcanoes. Are there like gases that leach out of these places mm-hmm. too and stuff? Yeah. Like that. I, I would feel like that would be yeah, really... like pyroclastic flow situations and stuff like that. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. That like that those those that's the typically the kind of volcanic activity that results in the most death because right. those pyroclastic flows are so high temperature and so fast that right. there is no time to react. Yeah. Yeah. Um it's not like like Icelandic volcanoes, you know, mm-hmm. which kind of blah, 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 blah. and yeah. you can they can be like, oh we've got time let's divert this into the sea you know like yeah, it's not like no, that no. um Oof. yeah Oof. volcanoes be different little buddies oh buddies okay um 
But the main reason that I want to talk specifically about this genus is because of their close, close connection to uh, the flowering plant, the giant rosette plant uh, in genus Espelitia, which is in many ways like the symbolic plant of the Potomo. Like everything that makes the Potomo special like revolves in in large part around this plant. And these hummingbirds are uh, very closely tied to it. Okay. And when I say very closely tied, I mean, it is their primary food source. Mm -hmm. Um, Their breeding is very closely tied to specifically when this plant is flowering. Mm -hmm. They build their nests from the discarded petals and fibers of these plants and the down of these plants. <laughs> okay. Uh, Wait, is the down on their stems or from other Their part? leaves. The leaves? Oh. Yeah. And uh, so oh. they, they're just very, very closely related to it. And they are a pollinator of this plant. Um, uh. So really, you know, mm, really, really good. Uh, let, let's talk a little bit about genus Espelitia because uh, this, you know, this, this like flagship plant of the Potomo. Um they are uh, uh, large, succulent-leaved rosette shrubs. They are also called frailejones uh, or big monks. <laughs> okay, that's that's just it's a cool name. Um, and uh, they are really fascinating to me. Uh, you will see these. You will see these helmet crest hummingbirds perching on them, um, you know, and drinking from the flowers while perching. Um, you will also see them perching on these these rosette plants and like hawking and like sallying to get bugs. Okay, okay. Um, these plants are a like a basically like a a little ecosystem in themselves. Um, the way that they function is because they, you know all of these dead leaves that fall off of it, these huge rosette leaves that fall off of it accumulate around it and create like this, these, like this, these like microhabitats around the plant. Um, they, so cool. yes, it is really cool. Um, there was a, uh, an article in the guardian where they interviewed a Colombian biologist, uh, his name, Mauricio Diaz Granados. And he talked about, uh, his experiences with these plants. Um, he said that one plant in Venezuela that they studied had 130,000 insects and spiders living in it. <laughs> oh, 130,000 individual or yeah, like, okay. Individual, which is, <laughs> so like, there's a lot. These, the, and these, you know, these, these big plants have a lot going on. Um, and they can also become, they're not just habitats for bugs and hummingbirds and things like that, but also frogs. Uh, and, you know, they, they shelter a lot of things. Um, so they're, they're a very key habitat plant. Um, beyond that, they have a huge impact on the ecosystem at large um, because they possess a highly permeable sponge-like trunk, okay, that captures water vapor from passing clouds what the fuck right they are literally like drinking clouds um it's oh my god it's really it's fascinating um and these plants are so water efficient because they live in the grass potomo where it's exposed um they have all these adaptations to help with water efficiency they've got you know 
uh, insulated leaves, you know, the succulent leaves, they're, they're, the leaves are insulated by these little silvery hairs mm -hmm. to keep them warm, you know, from freezing and thawing every day. Um, that turns out that they're so water efficient that 90% of the water they take in, they put into the ground. Wow. What? Yeah. So they contribute <laughs> a huge amount to the aquifer of the Potomo grasslands and actually contribute directly, like in a, in a significant way to the formation of alpine streams and lakes up there. Wow. That is so wild. Isn't it awesome? Like, it's really, really a cool plant. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, um, that botanist, um, Dr. Diaz Granados, uh, said that because of this plant, the Potomos are effectively a reliable water tower for millions of people. Because uh, these, you know, not only do you get drinking water um, for livestock and people from uh, those alpine streams, but you also get things contributing. Uh, those high altitude lakes and streams also help with hydropower as a good as a good reliable source of that too. So, wow. um, they're a keystone. They have a keystone effect, like not just on the animals in the area, but also on the people of the area. So it's a really cool plant. Really, yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Very, very fun. Uh, and these helmet crests, it is, yeah, it is very key to their existence. Those were, those are just some of my, uh, some of the things that I found really, really beautiful, really fascinating about the Panamo. Um, I, there are so many good hummingbirds. <laughs> I could, I feel like I could legitimately spend another week just looking at hummingbirds. It made me so happy. Oh, um, maybe you should. <laughs> maybe <laughs> Sounds should. like a great yeah. pastime. Should be. And uh, this is, this is also such a rich environment that I feel like, um, this is definitely something that I'd be interested in revisiting in a future episode because there are so many more things to talk about. Sure. Like it is just such a, such a unique and such a rich place. Um, what a, what a natural wonder. And yeah. So that's, that's a little introduction to the, uh, to the, uh, Potomo. And, um, yeah. What, uh, in a really cool environment. Yeah. What was the common name of that plant or is there a common name that, uh, the, the Frilejones. Honest. Yeah, it's a uh, genus Espeletia. Espeletia grandiflora, I believe, is specifically the uh, the the big monk that they uh, that they yeah. That might be one of the coolest things we've learned on this podcast. I was like, I was blown away by this. I was just like, this is so neat. I'm still mm -hmm. processing like how insane that is. That, oh God, it's like uh, just hummingbirds living on it. They're drinking clouds. It's it's very magical. And like contributing to the water ecology in such yeah. a direct way yeah like turning clouds into groundwater yeah that's wild that is that wild is, stuff <laughs> that is so cool. wild where where do these grassland hummingbirds build their nests are they because i picture hummingbird nests being very tied to like limbs and branches and things like yeah that. um uh, typically the helmet crests are they're actually finding uh and a lot of the birds in this area they're finding um like rockier kind of outcroppings because they need to be um just because of the climatic factors uh, they need to be a little more sheltered than because yeah, not just like the little you know those little like the tight little cup Come that we yeah, yeah uh, just on a limb. Um, it needs to it needs to be a little more safe from mm -hmm. the the elements. Um, and yeah, like these uh, these hummingbirds, like they will hide like you know we they will spend a lot of time like hiding under grass leaves and things like that just to avoid the intensity of the environment around them, which is very, Aww. again, it's, it's a little antithetical to what we think of hummingbirds as doing. Yeah. We think of them as always moving, always getting that, you know, their metabolism, uh, uh feeding their metabolism. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a little, it's a little different. 
Yeah. I was, I was going to ask, like, do they have a slower metabolism than some other hummingbirds or um, unclear? You know, I didn't get too much into the physiology side of it, but that's a really compelling question, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I'd have to look that up because I would imagine they have to be a little bit different in that regard to, right. in order to maintain that life history. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's also interesting to picture a hummingbird not being like super bold. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. Just, yeah. Like, hiding under leaves and stuff. Yeah. Right. Really timid. Yeah. So cute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, every time I think of hummingbirds, I know I remember this, uh, we had, I don't know. I remember the, uh, <laughs> at the Perot museum, we had like this, and their bird hall, uh, they had a this like little panel that talked about hummingbirds and like how much ice cream you'd have to eat if you were a hummingbird. Oh like God. if a hummingbird was human size, how much ice cream? Then please was, tell us. Was, you'd have to eat like one hundred and twenty thousand calories a day. So it turns Jesus. out to be like I don't know, like five thousand ice cream cones or something like that. But it was, I don't know, this is very fun. Um, is there enough time in the day to eat five thousand ice cream cones? You know what? Hummingbirds make it work. So mm-hmm. why can't you? Well. They get to drink <laughs> fluids. That's true. Hey, you know, follow your dreams. Try to eat 5,000 ice cream cones in a day. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> the brain freeze would be so intense. Oh, gosh. Constant. That's true. I'd get tired by, like, the third one, too. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's uh, that's Those are some of the hummingbirds of the Andes, guys. And, uh, yeah. Aww. Yeah. What good birds. What good birds. Mm. That was delightful. <laughs> I was worried for a second I, when you were talking about all the bugs and pollinators and how there's so many bugs. I was going to be like, listener, if we're losing you, stay stay here because bugs are great. And then you were like, hummingbirds. Oh, wow. And I was like, oh. Wow. <laughs> if we lost you because it was hummingbirds instead of bugs, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Dang, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for representing the, the bug lovers out there, <laughs> Nicole. Mm-hmm. Mm. <sighs> Do you think there's a lot of like hummingbird v. bumblebee competition? On the Pontimo pa- competition, Pontimo. I don't know. I didn't look into the dynamic of like how all these like you have a, such an insane number of like yeah pollen pollinators and nectar yeah. eating things with all these hummingbirds. I'm just assuming that because the environment is so moist and there is so much water available that these plants must be putting out an insane amount of nectar um so yeah i don't know it's good stuff yeah they're probably all finding their own niches yeah yeah they gotta get along you know that's a really good point if there's this much pollinator activity going on like there's so much incentive to just put all your resources into nectar rewards absolutely well thank you alan so much for sharing that was absolutely delightful Good stuff. Good birds. Good feelings. Good vibes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and thank you, listener. The Best Biome is produced by our nonprofit, Grassland Groupies. You can find our episode show notes in the episode description, our, all of our good social media, all that good stuff. Uh, make sure to send us some fan mail, some hate mail, episode suggestions, all that good stuff. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever you prefer. And we will catch you again in two weeks. Farewell. Is it a good podcast episode if you don't cry over at least one bird? (laughs) Right? (laughs) I know. Oh, gosh. Uh, Yeah. Mm.
I was I was also like as I was researching this, like clutching at my chest a lot because I was like, oh, this is so good. Um, <laughs> it just I don't know, this makes me happy. 